They say that if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, in the summer of 69, the big bounce hit theaters. Spoiler alert, the author of the book hated it. Can 35 years, a decent cast of namers, and the director of Gross Point Blank make a difference? Find out as we attempt to prove to you that the 2004 remake of The Big Bounce is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, I feel like I've said this before, but my lovely wife, Carrie, is a massive Elmore Leonard fan. So when we were trying to figure out which movie to cover this week, lo and behold, another Elmore Leonard adaptation has come across our table. And I know Carrie is super excited for it. So Carrie, how are you feeling today? I am great. I am bouncing. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you you went See for the I dad joke. You yeah. went for the dad joke. Bad humor is my job. You're supposed to be the serious one. I th- we right. <laughs> oh no. Then we're in a lot of trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, it's opposite day. No. Um, <laughs> but yes, we are talking about 2004's The Big Bounce based off the Elmore Leonard novel. Um, and trust me when I say there are tons of movies and television shows based off Elmore Leonard novels. Uh, some of them are really, really, really good. Critics have their, you know, something up there something we'll put it that way because i don't feel like putting the uh, the sensor button in but before we tackle this big screen adaptation it is time to take the big bounce and trailerize it a con man a mistress and a real estate developer walk onto the beach in hawaii that's where the joke ends owen wilson is jack ryan no not that Jack Ryan. Although admittedly, he might make a better Jack Ryan than Ben Affleck. In the big screen version of Elmore Leonard's The Big Bounce, watch as Jack Owen Wilson's his way through a scheme that seemingly has no plan. A supporting cast that barely supports the story and Charlie Sheen's porno stash that is begging to be shaved off. In a film that uses every shot from every Hawaii tourist board video, it's the Big Bounce. Rated PG for please go read the book instead. (laughs) I like that. And yes, do read the book. Yeah. Uh, It is very interesting, though, because, of course, this film is set in Hawaii, which readers of the book are going to be very, very confused because the book takes place in Michigan, Michigan. right? But Far, far from Hawaii. But we have been to Michigan, and quite frankly, we would rather be in Hawaii. I'm sure there are people in Michigan who would rather be in Hawaii. Well, not only that, but they also turned Jack into a surfer. As right? opposed to a ball player. Yeah, no, it's uh, It's like the Coles Notes version, but yeah. <laughs> there, there's a lot to be talked about uh, the, about this one. Well, they kept the title the same anyway. Yeah, no, just, just no. <laughs> uh, but let's get through here. Uh, this movie stars Owen Wilson, Morgan Freeman, Gary Sinise, Sarah Foster. Now, I was really confused about this one. Not confused, but intrigued. Because as I'm watching this and I see Sarah Foster and I'm like, who the f*** is Sarah Foster? Because I didn't know. I really didn't. So I had to do some research. Uh, And if you're sitting there going, you know, like, who the hell is Sarah Foster like I was? She was in the movie Debs. She also played Jen Clark in 90210. But that was the CW version. Like the, the, you know, later on, right? Uh, She is the daughter of... Canadian music producer David Foster, uh, and she is also currently married to Tommy Haas, the tennis player. Uh, She was the host of E.T. on MTV, which lasted about as long seemingly as her film career, but that's how she got noticed and put into this movie. Also stars Charlie Sheen and Vinnie Jones. However, there is an almost starring in this one. Jeremy Renner 
Hawkeye was offered a role in the film, but opted to do SWAT, which shows that is why Hawkeye is the greatest Avenger. Um, it does not say on IMDb which role he was offered. I can only assume. Actually, I'd be curious. If you had to put Jeremy Renner in this film, what role would you put him in? Probably either, I think, um, the role uh, played by Gary Sinise. Oh, Ray Ritchie. Ray Ritchie, yeah. I could see him, though, as Bob Jr. is played by Charlie Sheen. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Uh, this film was directed by George Armitage. It is the last film he would ever direct or produce. Uh, I'm sure this movie had a lot to do with that. This film originally had an NC-17 rating. And then, of course, they, they brought it down to an R rating. But then the studio likes money. So they apparently stepped in and said, no, 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 no. We got to make this a PG-13 film. Um, George Armitage apparently got so ticked off at this that he walked out of the editing process. And apparently, to this day... He has never seen the theatrical cut. Oh, I'm guessing he did. I don't know. He probably rented it from a blockbuster <laughs> somewhere in the so, middle of the States. I'm, I'm Actually, he may be the kind of person that would like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. We don't know George Armitage, but if I was so pissed off at a film that I was involved in and walked off, um, I, I would probably skip by it at the blockbuster shelf. Well, he didn't Alan Smith yet. No, but I don't think he could, though. <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing with Alan, with the Alan Smithy rule that if it's known to the public that you are the director of a film, then you can't really Alan Smithy it because that's just a that's just a black flag on the film because everyone knows you were involved. You can't Alan Smithy a film if everyone knows that you're involved. Like you could Alan Smithy a film back in the day. Now everybody knows everything about who's working on what films. So it's almost I think it'd be almost impossible to Alan Smithy something unless it was like a small indie production. I don't know. I'd be curious to. I want to check his rental history at Blockbuster, though. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking, you know what? Out of out of sheer curiosity, at some point he had to have watched it, even if it was accidentally on one weekend on uh, <laughs> <laughs> movie network or movie time or whatever. Now it's funny because as we were um, watching this, uh, I was like. It's kind of in the same vein, at least tonality-wise, as Be Cool was, even though I think Be Cool, if I remember correctly, had an R rating. Um, but this came out the year before Be Cool came out. It was also the same year as the Maximum Bob TV series that was out there uh, that starred Bo Bridges. Now, how did Elmore Leonard like this film? Let me tell you, he did not. Spoiler alert, he did not. He said in an interview with the LA Times that the 1969 version of The Big Bounce is the second worst movie ever made. The 2004 remake is the worst. Wow. That is Elmore Leonard talking trash about a movie based on a book that he wrote. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I don't think he got to like Clive Cussler level kind of things where he was like actively telling people not to go see the movie. But clearly he did not like this one. Um, it was also given a dishonorable mention for worst film at the 2004 Bad Movie Awards. Now, now, when the author of the book that the movie is based on doesn't like it and is calling it the worst film in history, that's probably going to affect the box office take. This film had a budget of $50 million according to IMDb, a worldwide gross of under... Seven, six point eight million dollars when it debuted in the deadest time of movie history, January thirtieth, two thousand four. Well, not of history, but definitely of the calendar year. There were three films debuting that week. This one placed at number thirteen on the box office charts, and you can't even argue that it was a small release because it was released in over 2,300 screens. Number one that week was the debut of You Got Served, so that just tells you exactly how, you know, no one went to the theaters that week. Um, the other one was The Perfect Score that debuted at number five. The Big Bounce, 3.3 million roughly, debuting at number 13. That 
That ain't good. That ain't good at all. And to give you a comparison, the 1969 version over on Rotten Tomatoes has an audience score of 31%. This one, however, over on Metacritic, it has a meta score of 43. But over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 24% and a tomatometer of 15. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That is less than half Yeah, that that's the 69 version. That is not good. So when you hear a 15% critic score on this, as an Elmore Leonard fan, like how much of your entrails are now spilled out from the wound that they've slashed? It hurts. I'm not going to lie. It it hurts. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, it had such a great cast. It's a, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really great story. I can only attribute the screenplay, the direction, the the liberties they took with it. I mean, to be honest, they they didn't stick to the story. They didn't stick to the original novel. Mm-hmm. Um, if, and and again, really talented actors. I mean, we're talking about this because our target was Morgan Freeman. We wanted to do another Morgan Freeman movie. Yeah, we pulled Morgan Freeman's name out of the hat again. So, <laughs> so incredible talent, really funny actors mm-hmm. helped me understand where it went wrong because it did. It went so wrong. I mean, there's a couple things here. Um, there is probably... Uh, perhaps an almost an unrealistic expectation when you have a quality cast and this does right 2004 owen wilson morgan freeman charlie sheen gary sinise that's that's a solid cast solid so there is a weight of expectation people who expect those people to be in good movies because why would why would the voice of god take a movie that you know is you know, maybe not the best script, but to the same token as well, there are fans of the written word. And when the book that they love makes it to the big screen and it is nothing like the book that they love, like they, that's a massive thing. And we talked about this with the circle, right? Like when we did the episode of the circle, we're like, oh, this is a really, really good film. And we had not read the book by that point. And then I read the book. And it's a it's a vastly different tonality to Emma Watson's character. May is not a good person. By the way, uh, I go into great detail on that on the Adapted to Screen podcast. So go have a good listen to that one and uh, support our good friends over there. Um, but... You know, you're the Elmore Leonard fan here. Yeah, and and what I wanted to add to that is I really think that the the rating to to bring it down to a PG thirteen any Elmore Leonard book um, almost kind of needs that grit. It mm-hmm. needs the 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 language and it needs the kind of seedy characters. And I think maybe. That's what was lost in translation was the, the tone of it. The, like the fact that the actors, um, made it more of a comedy than it, than the true story, the true novelization need needed to be, or was meant to be. Yeah. I mean, there are some very, very good Elmore Leonard books adapted into movies. Like, off the top of my head, uh, Kill Shot is very good. Uh, 52 Pickup is very good. And I think those kind of match the tonality potentially of, because I'll, I'll admit, I I have not read those books, but they feel from what you have told me of the books, you know, how it should feel, mm, right? I am still waiting on the movie of Tishomingo Blues. Yeah, whatever happened to that one? Please, please manifest that. Make it so. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, if I remember correctly, George Clooney at one point was working on that. But, uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know. I wonder how much of that had to do with 
um, Elmore's passing away. But again, I mean, in in the time that the novel was released, which now I'm thinking back, was uh, what like early two thousands? Maybe yeah, it had to be the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't remember the date exactly. However, um, I mean, enough time has passed that it needs to happen. Yeah. Um, Get her done. Dear Mr. Clooney, (laughs) please exchange your ticket for paradise and make this happen. We're not saying anything bad about Ticket to Paradise. Oh, yes. No, I actually want to go see it. However, you know. Come on, Clooney. Throw that Hollywood muscle around. Yes. Make it no more Leonard film. Make it so. Again. Please. (laughs) But let's get to the breakdown of this one here. Uh, And we got to start with Jack Ryan. By the way, as someone who has read a lot of Tom Clancy books, seeing Owen Wilson as a character named Jack Ryan, this is why the joke in the trailer eyes. Um, Owen Wilson would not make a good Tom Clancy Jack Ryan. But that being said, how was he as an Elmore Leonard version of Jack Ryan? Again, reading the books, you have a far different picture than Owen Wilson. Like, no disrespect to Owen Wilson. I think he is funny and, you know, a talented actor. Um, Was thrilled to see him uh, in his role in in Loki. Mm -hmm. I love that. As Mobius K. Mobius. Right? Um, However, (laughs) um, he does not fit the picture of Jack Ryan as I'm reading the novel. No. Um, and and it's no disrespect. It's just, again, when you read the books, it's very different tonality. It's very dry wit as opposed to humor. Yeah. Um, if that makes any sense at all in the difference in genre. Is it weird that I can actually see Owen Wilson as uh, a Michigan-based baseball player as opposed to a Hawaiian surfer and it might actually fit better? You know what? And and there's the thing, right? Like, they took so many liberties with the scene setting, with, like, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, Elmore Leonard wrote his, his books almost with that backdrop in mind, mm-hmm. right? The the kind of gritty Michigan, um, seedy, not seedy characters, it's that, but it's like- It's that Detroit vibe, yeah. Yeah, and, and then you put Owen Wilson, who is just a funny guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his look, his smile, his presence is humor. Yeah. And, and just really doesn't kind of fit the picture maybe perhaps if they did put a jeremy renner renner yeah jeremy renner yeah or um or uh, a gary sinise into the role of jack ryan gary sinise probably would have fit that role better in all honesty when when you realize what the role actually was yes and you can you know what you can move it to hawaii that's fine but you kind of have to keep the tonality and the other thing too is like you know as you're reading like the, the, the material and the, the promo material, it's like, you know, Jack Ryan is a con man. Really? Cause everything in here basically says that he's a B and E guy and that's about it. Like he's looking for a, a quick couple of hundreds on, you know, wallets that he's picked up, but like he, he can talk his way into and out of a house, but you know, nothing here says that he's a con guy by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like, the way the character was written, you kind of need a certain amount of suave to to be able to, you know, pull off the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was fine enough. It's just, again, um, persona-wise, you know, an Owen Wilson is maybe just not what I would have pictured reading it. Yeah, I mean... It, this is a hindsight thing that that may be a recast or at least a shuffling of the deck, you know, with di- you know different actors from the same movie in the in a different role might have served it better. The other thing too is two thousand four, right? This is like the Owen Wilson year. 
This was the first of five films that came out with him in it in 2004. There was this, Starsky and Hutch, Around the World in 80 Days, which, you know, co-starred Jackie Chan, Meet the Fockers, and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And I know you're just shaking your head. God, he was in that. Yeah. But the funny thing is, of the five films that he's in, released in 2004, this is the one that has the lowest critic score of all five. And a lot of that probably has to do with the, the major deviation from the source material. Like, the fact that this came out first, you can't even, you can't even argue, like, Owen Wilson fatigue syndrome. You can't. You know, maybe as you get to the end of the year, sure, yeah, okay, no problem, right? But, you know, this is the beginning of a very long Owen Wilson year. Right, and I don't fault Owen Wilson at all. I I, I think it was a casting error. I mean, that being said, if you take the way he played Jack, but set the movie in Michigan, it wouldn't fit. I think his character, the way he portrayed Jack, fit for Hawaii, but it doesn't fit Michigan Jack. And again, um, it's because I see Owen Wilson and I automatically think Hawaiian surfer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So yeah, that part made sense. But again, I, I really think that was um, like, that was, that was a casting thing. That was direction. That was like, they completely changed the screenplay in that direction. And I, I think that, I really think that's the fault. You no, know, I, I think it would be a better film if you move it to Michigan and make it Luke Wilson instead of Owen Wilson. I could see that. Hmm. You're thinking about it now, aren't you? Yes and no. I still want to see Jeremy Renner. <laughs> As yeah. the ultimate baddie, but like the suave baddie. But the thing is, Jeremy Renner could easily pull off the con man in this situation, regardless of what state he's in. Yeah, but again, the the grid of Michigan would make sense. Oh, absolutely. Jeremy Renner would fit Michigan better uh, than Hawaii. Owen Wilson fit Hawaii better, but maybe the story, you know, know, took a little bit away from it. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, leads us to Sarah Foster as played by Nancy Hayes. Now, I cannot picture Nancy walking around downtown Michigan in a yellow bikini. Um, So how was Sarah Foster for you in this? I think she was great. Um, I mean, in the role and how it was written, mm-hmm. I, I I do. I think she was perfect. She was fun and carefree. And it really fit, like, the true character of Nancy as far as I saw it. So, she was great. See, it's interesting that you say she's fun and carefree, right? Here's a girl that is using... I'm going to use my 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 imaginary audio air finger quotes here. A con man to help her steal $200,000 from her real estate developer husband. Carefree and fun for someone who's trying to pull off a, you know, fifth of a million dollar heist. This is this is where the tonality of the movie I think needed to be in our rating. Right? It felt like the movie was focusing too much on the potential romance between Nancy and Jack as opposed to Nancy's using a con man in order to steal the money. Tonality-wise, it didn't fit. Well, you know what? When I say fun and carefree, I, I guess what I mean about that is that you honestly... It's almost kind of like... She is just having so much fun with this. Mm-hmm. She's having fun stringing Jack along. Like, you know, like she, one minute, I mean, she she's just crazy. One minute she can um, be really into him. And then the other minute you think she's going to kill him. She's mm-hmm. going to, she's going to put a pillow over his face when he's asleep. Like this is it. She's nuts. And it was fun. And it was, it was carefree in that. It's carefree in a way that, you know, she is using literally everyone in this film, right? There isn't a single person who isn't in on the scheme, maybe except for Jack. Right. But when I say carefree, I guess I mean absolutely no remorse. Zero given by Nancy. If you want to put it that way, yes. (laughs) But I mean, 
I think this is a problem with the focus of the film. It felt too much like they were focusing. And, and again, uh, this this is not on Owen Wilson. This is not on Sarah Foster, right? This is, it felt like a meet cute film centered around a heist as opposed to a heist film that Nancy is trying to make it feel like a meet cute situation so she can basically get everyone to do what she wants them to do. Like she's the center of this. And I think for her part, she'd actually played it very, very well. I just wish the story developed the plan more than it focused on, you know, Nancy and Jack. And kind of a will they, won't they make it past this heist kind of thing. And that is an excellent point. There was a lot left out of the dialogue, of the plot. Like a lot of the plot had holes. Um, and again, I, I don't I don't fault the actors at all. I think they played their role beautifully. However, again, it comes back to the screen adaptation of the novel. Mm-hmm. A lot was missing. And I mean, there were times, even though I had read the book years previous, but still I read the book and I was like, wait, like what is happening here? And then it makes sense. It all comes together in the end. Yeah. However, there were times even I as a fan was left kind of thinking, well, this is an interesting direction. <laughs> you know, right. or like, how did we get here? Okay. So, here we are. I mean, it's two, it's 2022, so we're going to spoil the crap out of this 18-year-old film. So, you've been warned. But do watch it. Do watch it. You know, it, it is definitely worth it. And I think... You know, and before we move on with the rest of the characters and all that, I will say that if you don't know the source material, this is a fun film. Mm-hmm. If you know the source material and the type of books written by Elmore Leonard, you're watching this film going, the f-? Well, I can say, fans, that um, read this and then pick up Unknown Man 89 because Jack Ryan, as a character does make a reappearance mm-hmm. in that novel. So see, I'd be I would be more, you know, I think it would be better if people didn't read the books in this case. Or mm. or read it the other way. You know, watch the film and then read the book. Right? Um, because it, if, when you read the book before you watch the movie, you have these expectations. And if they're not met, you're like, oh, oh, you know. And then when if you watch the movie first, then you read the book. It's a it's a much different, you know, way of going about it, kind of thing. Um, but I do I do wish they had get, you know given more to Nancy in order to develop how she was using everyone because you know she's with Ray, she's the mistress, right? And she's stringing Bob along, Bob Jr., and she's using Jack to steal the money. And eventually Morgan Freeman is somehow involved kind of thing. Like, it's anyone who complains about, you know, Zemo's plot in Silver in Civil War, um, watch this. And all of a sudden you're like, Helmut Zemo is the greatest mastermind ever. <laughs> right you 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 need a much bigger flow chart with way more red string in order to wrap, wrap your head around this but i wonder how much of that was lost in the in the cut down from nc i get cutting down from nc 17 to r that makes sense right you're not getting a wide release if you're nc 17 you're in showgirls territory at that point but when you cut a film from r down to pg-13 you are losing a lot in tonality and probably a lot of plot. And we've talked about this before. There have been so many movies that we've talked about already in the, you know, the the short span of time, you know, that we've been doing this podcast. I mean, this is episode 55 and already I can think of a few movies off the top of my head that went from R to PG-13 and probably suffered in the long run because of it, but it did make it more accessible to people in the theaters it backfired in this one, I think, because if you debut at number 13, you missed. Like, you missed the boat on that. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Snickers bar. Anyways, <laughs> moving on to the porno stash that is Charlie Sheen as Bob Jr. in this. I'm not going to lie. Like, we were talking about Jeremy Renner coming in, and I said maybe he'd be, he'd fit this role pretty well. But I can't picture Charlie Sheen not in this role. But how was mm-hmm. he for you? No, I thought he was, he was great. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean... I almost kind of could have, I, I don't know, could have done with less of him, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and it's not that he didn't play it well, but I think it was just like, there were there were some scenes where I'm like, they could have cut that. Yeah. Although it was also a very short movie, so. It's, I get why she's using him or stringing him along for whatever reason, right? But the thing is, in the grand scheme of the plot, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. It's like, why are you here? Exactly. Pretty much, right? <laughs> like, all of a sudden, Bob Jr. shows up to the house and, you know, looking for a quickie kind of thing while she's, you know, got Jack upstairs all tied up and whatnot. Like, I'm like, why is he here? You know, yeah. this whole thing about about his wife, who I don't even remember actually seeing his wife in this film, like... The what is going on, right? Like, I get that he is Ray's, you know, for lack of a better term, he's his henchman, right? He's, you know, Ray's little puppy dog that he sends out to do a bunch of things, right? But the fight scene was hilarious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I get it. But it's... If anything, that was just the comic relief on this movie. Yeah. I mean, hey, that, that porno stash alone... It's comic relief to begin with, but it's, it felt like a, I hate to say it, it felt like a waste of a perfectly good Charlie Sheen. He literally felt like the pool boy. Like when he showed up to the house, it was like, okay, at what point is he going to like mow the lawn or... <laughs> but, like but clean but, the pool. But not even a suave pool boy. Yeah. Like he may as well have been standing outside the, the, the backyard door going, Nancy, Nancy, I'm horny. Come here, Nancy. I got 15 minutes. It's only going to take two. Like, really? Why? Why? And again, we don't know how much of it actually got lost in the in the cut down. I, I would love to see a director's cut of this film. How it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like. Right. And, and you know, there's the thing we had spoke about at the beginning is like, <laughs> that's why I think the director refuses to watch it because there, because there, it, there should have been so much more. Yeah. And the thing too is at PG-13 and, and, you know, completely siding with George Armitage here, that's not his film. Right. I'm I'm and sure it's not the book either. No, I'm sure he was fine with the cut down from NC-17 to R, right? You have to be able to release in theaters. 
you have to be able to let people in without that that hardcore NC-17. Because let's be honest, NC-17, it, it basically screams, this is softcore porn. Right? That's the kind of feel when you see an NC-17 film. Or it's, you know, worse than Terrifier 2. Right? You needed to get it down to R in order to be able to make more money at the box office. And had it stayed R... I think this would have been a much better film. I would, I'm not saying I don't think we'll ever see a director's cut. I don't think there's, you know, we're not getting hashtag release the Armitage cut. Although maybe we should. But regardless, let's try, let's try. Hashtag release the Armitage cut (laughs) of the big bounce. Um, Maybe, who knows, right? But yeah, there there's probably a lot more. Like, let's take a look at some of the, the Elmore Leonard films that have been released, right? You know, at least movies based on his books. Jackie Brown. Our rating, as I recall, mm-hmm. right? Out of Sight. It might have been R. Get Shorty. Was that sitting at R? Or? Pretty sure that was R. Yeah. Be Cool was rated R. And as much, as much as it was, you know, very funny, pretty sure that was rated R. It wasn't horribly violent, though. No, but there's a lot of swear words. Yeah. Right? But yeah, but the MPAA, that the, the, they don't like swear words. You can rip out someone's intestines, but you say poop duty too many times and, you know, you're going to get the R rating. I think I think there's a rule, like from PG to PG-13, I think there's like a, like a one rule or something like that. You can say one time and that's 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 your limit anything more you get like the pg-13 or maybe like the r rating is it just one i know there's a count but i didn't there, know. there's there's a count but i think i think more than one is the you know a that's sunday but b that's that's kind of like the the you know the the line right that one word drop a and you really screwed <laughs> Moving on, let's talk about Ray Ritchie, Gary Sinise. Ooh, hang on, which on that note, if you had replaced Morgan Freeman with Sam Jackson. Yes, but I think the character, well, let's talk about Morgan Freeman. Before before we go to Gary Sinise, right? Let's talk about Morgan Freeman as Walter Cruz, right? Walter is a very sly but suave kind of guy right he's non-imposing the fact that he's in on the whole thing is a big twist at the end which i love the twist i really do the fact that he's in on it it makes sense why he offered jack a job it's just he needed to be non-imposing he he needed to feel like that 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 kind gentle guy you don't need samuel jackson in there dropping a bunch of mfs all over the place because then you're like oh no he's totally involved morgan freeman felt like he wasn't involved so the twist actually worked better i think but that being said did it not feel like he was his entire description was be nice but be cryptic as hell with everything you say to jack (laughs) I wonder how much of that is just Morgan Freeman being an amazing actor. Oh, I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong, right? But it, it just felt like the script tried to be too cryptic to make to make Walter seem not everything as he's as meant it to be. I'd rather See, it just be like... I don't know. Maybe it was me. I saw it coming like... As soon as he was introduced on the screen, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because they're, because he, they're looking at him like he's some kind of specimen. <laughs> you know, he's hit, so in on this. Him and Willie Nelson, which for the record, holy crap, Willie Nelson is in this film, right? Like, it, it's not a small part, but you sit there and all of a sudden you see him and you're like, holy crap, it's Willie Nelson! <laughs> nice to see Willie Nelson in a film. But, but yeah, no. Mo- uh, Morgan Freeman was perfect in this. The twist worked because it was Morgan Freeman. I don't think you want to put a Samuel L. Jackson in this. Plus, you'd probably draw too many comparisons to Jackie Brown anyways. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. True. G- given the source material, given that Jackie Brown was, you know, first, right? Like, it's... I think I just wanted to see more out of Morgan Freeman. 
like a little more unhinged at the end, a little more, uh, again, he was very understated. Yeah, but he needed to be. Because that way, when when it turns out that Walter's involved, you're like, where did he come from? Oh, it makes sense. This is, this is the one part where I'm like, no, no, no. Walter, I think, was written well, even despite the fact that the dialogue was a little too, ah, uh, don't trust me, ah. Uh. <laughs> wink, I, wink. I think I wanted to see a little more Shawshank Redemption. Really? No. No. In the end... At least you didn't say Bruce Almighty. It's bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> More God. More God in this. Uh, but he's just an imaginary friend for humans. Which I love that line. For adults, sorry. <laughs> for adults. <laughs> uh, but moving on to Gary Sinise, who surprisingly is still Gary Sinise uh, as Ray <laughs> Ritchie here. Is there any other way? There is no other way to Gary Sinise, but, but the Gary Sinise way. And But I will say, though, that it worked perfectly because he he was the perfect level of asshole for this role. The fact that he was so dismissive of everyone around him, that made sense as to why Nancy wanted to steal the money from him. It was it became more of a you're gonna play me and use me as just a just a, a plaything. I'm gonna take your money and you're never gonna see it coming. And you're gonna pay. I just wish they had made him more of an asshole. But to do that, we needed to see more Ray. It felt like this, here he is, and then he's going to go away for about an hour, and then he's going to show up only to get killed. We need to see the object of the heist to make us believe in the heist. And that's where I think the, you know, the, the, the focus of the film lacked. But I think the fact that he, he wasn't present was maybe like a key point to that. Is that he 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 was never there, mm. right? Like so, it felt the like fact that, that this is happening behind his back is just kind of I don't know poignant because he's never there. Yeah, it it just felt like the the planning of the plot, the scheming, you know the you know yeah, the, the the chess playing of Nancy is lost in the you're going to do this because I'm hot, right? And you know the, the the two of them, right? Sarah and Owen are are fantastic together. I think they they played off each other very well, but it made it feel like a romantic comedy as opposed to a heist film. Like that's it. That's exactly it. It was a rom com. It was made to be in that genre as opposed to again the grittiness that it needed. Yeah, for With, it to be to the story which for the record you might want to get your stinkers bar ready because i'm about to go on a rant here (laughs) after watching the film and doing up my notes and whatnot i decided to watch the trailer because there were some scenes that were in the trailer that were not in the film but this is not new we've met rogue one this is not new but in watching the trailer and how much they put into that trailer. You did not need to watch the movie. You knew exactly what was going to happen. How it was going to go down. Like. I get that the trailers have come a long, long way. And trailers that were on DVDs like in the early 2000s. Did tend to show a lot of the movie. Trailer editors have learned a lot in the time. But watching this trailer, I'm like, okay, I, I've seen the movie. I didn't need it. Did not need to see anything after the trailer. I get this. It's bad marketing. Maybe that led to the low box office. It really was one of those trailers that showed you everything you needed to see. And there was nothing in here outside of that, you know, that that was that was not in the trailer there was a surprise it was predictable it was formulaic i didn't need to read the book two minute trailer and i know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to go down and i think that's exactly the problem that the critics had with this movie is the predictability yeah it's like those movies where 
all the best parts are in the trailer. Then you watch the movie. I'm like, oh, this was better in a two minute format. Looking at you, the hitman's bodyguard. Oh, I went there, didn't I? <laughs> I said bad things about a Ryan Reynolds film. I'm going to get kicked out of Canada. Ooh, uh, I want to add red notice to that one. Really, huh? Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. And it, 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 if I remember correctly, not the audience score, but the critic score, it qualifies the, that movie. I can see that. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure it's a contender. No, that's, we'll have to put red notice on the list. I gave it two spins because I thought the first one, maybe, maybe I just didn't, maybe it was me. Mm. No, no, sorry, Ryan Reynolds. Dead, Deadpool, Rock. Wonder Woman, and Black Adam walk into a heist film. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not me. It's you. Are we going <laughs> are, are we, are we to put Red Notice on notice? Could be. Could call. Could quite be. Stay tuned. Um, interesting character here. Frank Pizarro is played by Gregor Sporletter. And again, I do apologize if I messed up the names, but me idiot basement microphone. Um. This is an interesting character. This is this is this is Jack's friend that constantly owes money to Vinnie Jones. Uh, you know, tries to frame him with the box of of wallets and whatnot. Um, like this is an interesting character. But how was how was Frank for you? I mean, he he was good. Like I didn't see anything wrong in the delivery of the character. Um, I mean, aside from the obvious, you know, tone of the movie, mm. um, yeah, like I, I, I just have to question their friendship. Like I have to question what, like, what is the glue that binds? I, the, the funny thing is, I don't think there is glue that binds them. And there's this whole thing where Jack's like, you know, I like the way our, our thing works because, you know, we work together well, but just know that, you know, if, if ever there's a thing where I need to turn on you, I'm going to turn on you. Frank's relationship with Jack makes sense because it defines Jack more. Frank was the one character that made Jack feel like the criminal con man that he is because that is the level of quote unquote friendship that he's dealing with. Frank defines Jack more than anything else in this movie. I would have thought it was the relationship with Nancy. No. That it, it, no, I mean, hear me out. It's almost kind of like, again, those are the relationships that Jack Ryan has in his life are the, you know, intermittent, you know, one moment you can trust them with your life and the next you're concerned for your own life. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Frank's existence in this film makes you question Jack's morality and everything, which is good. Like, again, this is a heist film based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. And again, it would have been, it would have come across a lot differently if it wasn't Owen Wilson, mm. right? Like you kind of picture Owen Wilson being like, everybody's best friend or just you know what smiling through any i don't know uncomfortable or ugly interaction right yeah. like like he is just and again it's not on him it's his personality that is so positive and cheerful but he did not fit the again the, like the, the the grit yeah that jack ryan needed as a character i will say this though getting back to owen wilson um you know we are talking a film that's that was released 18 years ago so you have to thank you know movies back then so probably 19 years ago filming this thing right i don't think owen wilson was at the place in his career where he could add that level of fun grit because there is a level of fun grit jeremy renner would have nailed it Right. But I think watching him in Loki, and I'm glad you brought up Mobius K. Mobius, uh, you know, Mobin time. But I think where Owen Wilson is at now, a little bit weary, not weary, but, you know, weathered, if you will, a bit more mature, but yet still fun. If you take the way he played Mobius, and put that into Jack, it works. Mm, because, I mean, point. let's be honest, Owen Wilson doesn't age. 
<laughs> he doesn't. You have to like actually age him with like hair dye and a bad you know mustache, right? Oh, that would have been the key is the bad mustache. Which still was a better mustache than what Charlie Sheen had in this film. <laughs> but you take the Mobius version of Owen Wilson and put him in this and he fits perfectly. That Jack is believable. Surfer Owen Wilson about to star in Starsky and Hutch, not so much. But that's just me. Um, I mentioned that holy crap, Willie Nelson was in this. But holy crap, B.B. Newworth is also in this as Ray Ritchie's wife, Allison. And if you don't know who B.B. Newworth is, go watch an episode of Cheers because she is Dr. Lilith Sternen Crane. And I'm like watching this. I'm like, okay, there's the wife and all that. And she starts to talk. I'm like, holy crap, it's B.B. Newworth. But she's barely in this. And she's critical to the plot, to the heist. Again, I do I don't mind that she doesn't show up until later on. And I like the fact that she's involved, but it kind of came out of left field. I and yes, I think, you know, a mention or a phone call or something along the way would have would have helped. You know, you had mentioned that Gary Sinise's character just disappeared for half of the movie. But if in that time there was something, something, some mention or some appearance or at least like, you know, uh, flash over to her and her storyline uh, or motive or something. Yeah. Like maybe when, when, when Nancy and Jack were on the boat named the Allison, Right. If there was a picture of B.B. Newworth on there and, you know, you know, Nancy had a bit more knowledge than you would think that a mistress would have about, you know, the husband, uh, you know, that, that she's, you know, that she's stupping. Right. I mean, I thought B.B. Newworth was great in this. Drunk B.B. Newworth is so much fun. But and the, and the fact that she was with Walter. Like. You know, Walter being involved at a left field, Walter being involved with Allison, even way more out of left field, right? So there's a lot of things happening and it felt like. But maybe that was by design. Maybe it was meant to come across at the ending to, you know, pick your jaw up off the floor. Maybe that was the intention and, and they didn't want to add too many spoilers, I, I think I'm, I'm not saying spoilers, but some when something happens, it should make sense. A link, yeah, and and I think that there's, um, I I think there was maybe more, uh, like too much intention of being mysterious or having that surprise twist ending. Yeah, and they kind of missed the message along the way. It's like. I, I felt like Jen Walters in this, though, where everything's going on. And I felt like, you know, someone should look at the camera and go, is this really working? You know, <laughs> like someone needed to to bust out of the Disney Plus, you know, menu screen and go talk to KEVIN and work a new ending in here. I'm just saying. The other thing, too, is I don't know if it was meant to be a red herring or something like that, but it, it ended up being something in the end. And again, I'm going to apologize because I'm probably about to mess up a name. Uh, Anat Minasian. And again, I probably just completely butchered that. I'm not even going to sit here and spell it because um, we don't have that kind of time. But she was the girl in cabin number nine. And, you know, there was so much made about her, like, you know, you know, go fix the shower head number nine and go, go help the girl in number nine. And, you know, you know, even Jack's like, you keep on telling me to go to, uh, to the girl in number nine. And Walter's like, you know, I thought there was a thing, but you know, you know, she's Catholic or something like that. And then she ends up in the limo with Jack at the end, by the way, I did mention spoilers. So you were warned. It just felt very odd. Like it was a clever, a fun little ending. The fact that he ended up with the girl in cabin number nine. Right. But it felt like sh there should have been more of her in this instead of cute girl in cabin number nine, and then all of a sudden she's cute girl in the limo. Like, was there more? Was it in the cut? I don't know. And again, I wonder how much of that was left on the edit room floor. Yeah. And maybe these were the scenes that 
brought it from an R rating to the PG-13. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even down from NC-17 as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm sure there was probably a bit more sex and a lot more swear words. There had to have been a certain, yeah. you know, request or call to cabin number nine that was probably that yeah. was cut. And yeah, I mean, maybe that was just overlooked. I, I mean, nothing in this film screams that it was even close to NC-17. I understand it being an R film and things being cut out kind of thing, but <sighs> Elmore Leonard movies should not be PG-13. Even ones that are made as TV shows that went to network television, and I'm thinking about Karen Sisko here, there was still you know, a level of grit to it. And that one was well cast. I mean, Carla Gugino was just you know an absolute gem. And that show was good. Like, it was good. This, you're right. Never made it past season two. One season. Yeah. One season. And it was a good show. I just don't know why it was, uh, it was, it wasn't picked up again. Who knows? It's probably one of those things where, you know, because it was based on Out of Sight and the continuation of Karen Sisko's character that was played by Jennifer Lopez. But then all of a sudden you go from Jennifer Lopez to Carla Gugino back then and people were like, well, where's my J-Lo? Right, which is a shame because Carla Gugino is a much better actress, but I digress. This film, and we have said it a couple of times already, it feels like a rom-com. So I'm going to put this out there to you. If you're watching this as a rom-com, are you satisfied? Forget the book. Forget the deviation from the source material. If you're looking for a rom-com is this satisfying to you? I mean, aside from the obvious plot holes that we've pointed out, which, I mean, they could have quite easily rewritten and, you know, even eluded to certain relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you know what? At the end of the day, I know that we're here to say it's not that bad. And I'm going to stand behind that. It's not a 15%. Because it's not, it's not a 15%. It is not that bad. Um, it is certainly not the author's vision for this story. <laughs> it's his vision of the worst film ever made. That's what this is. But, um, but, it's, but it's not. I mean, I, I think what it boils down to is this. It is not funny enough to be a rom-com and it is too, it was too, it's too cutesy enough to be a heist film. It's somewhere in the middle. I wonder, though, if it would have been made into a series as opposed to a movie. I think I think this story fits well enough in a in a one in a you know a ninety minute package. If you focus on the heist and not on Jack and Nancy as potentially a couple, because as I'm watching this, and again, I'll admit I didn't read the book. Probably saved me. Right. But it felt like the kind of movie where you expect, you know, it it's a relationship out of convenience for Nancy. Um, but Jack may very well be, even though he's not a really a good person, Jack may be the one to get her out of a bad situation. And maybe Nancy is the girl that Jack needs to turn his his life around from doing these, you know, cheap little B and E jobs. All they need is one job and they can go and start over. You know, it's interesting that you say that Jack Ryan's not a good person, but he's not necessarily... He's not a bad a, person. He is not... Exactly. He's not a... He's not a hardened criminal. He's not that bad. He's he's not that bad. <laughs> he is um, kind of like... He's more like boyishly troublemaker. Yeah. You know, um, he's, he's the guy that gets caught for shoplifting a pack of gum as opposed to, you know, murder, right? Like yeah. he he's not he is not a hardened criminal. No, he's no. not. No. <sighs> Focus on Jack and Nancy using this as a way to turn their own lives around, and it's actually a very interesting film. Don't get too caught up in the heist because there's a lot of plot holes. Don't get too caught up on the comedy of it. 
because it's not laugh. It's, it's not laugh out loud funny. That's the thing. Be cool is laugh out loud funny. Yeah. And I mean, even the heist too. I think that there's a lot that they could have done with that mm-hmm. to almost kind of make Nancy look not justified, but you know, like maybe not so bad after yeah. all, just kind of like taking what she felt was hers and, or what she was entitled to. Yeah. You have a bunch of not too bad people doing something that's really in the grand scheme of things, not that bad. Not great. Not great, but it not could be legal. Way, not legal, but it, but it could be way worse, right? The bad guy, the, the worst person in this film got his comeuppance, which as a moviegoer, you feel almost satisfied when they do. You know, Gary Sinise needed to be put down. I never thought I'd say that in a podcast, but here we are. Um, but I think... It could have been better had they focused more on what needed to be focused on. It's not a 15% film. I would say it's even better than a 24% film. Probably around the 31% audience score that the 1969 version gets. But just don't read the book if you're going to watch the movie. Or forget that the book exists, and I think you'll enjoy the film a little bit more. That's that's personal opinion. But how would you advise someone to watch this? Definitely watch it. And you know what? Watch the 2004. And then, just for fun, find the 1969 version. Which stars Ryan O'Neill, by the way. And watch that in comparison. And then read the book. But definitely do read the book. But do so at the end. I, w- I wonder if it's one of those things where if you watch the 2004 and then you watch the 1969, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle is probably the film that Elmore Leonard probably wanted. I'd be curious. What was the rating on the 1969 version? A 31% audience score with no tomatometer listed. No, like, like I, rating, I don't. I like, don't know. I don't know if it's an R-rated or it's a... PG-13 or whatever. I, You have to think 1969 is probably PG-13, but... I can definitely imagine, though, that it wouldn't have had the same comedic tonality. Oh, definitely the, not. The 2004. And, and two, the actors. And, and like we've said, that there was a certain... Um, There's a gravitas to this cast in 2004... Mm-hmm that probably didn't have the material to live up to that expectation. But it is time. We've come to the end of the show. So, Carrie, who is your MVP of The Big Bounce? I gotta I gotta say Jack Ryan. Really? Owen Wilson, yeah. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because I just, I, I like him so darn much. He's just so likable. Mm. Like, he, he, he is. He made, again, the character of Jack Ryan, he made him likable. You know, he, again, he's not a super bad guy. You know, he's not the kind of guy that you you think, wow, he's going to wind up in prison. He's really just a guy that his um, career, you know, uh, didn't quite pan out. His life didn't quite pan out the way he wanted it to. And so in being a bit lost and displaced by, you know, his dreams not coming to fulfillment, he turns to a life of petty crime. <laughs> you know, he's not a hardened criminal and he is likable. So I'm going to I'm going to go and give him the MVP. All right. Well, I'm going to sit star. here. I'm going to sit here and completely disagree with you. Okay. Because I don't think this is Jack's movie. This is Nancy's movie. And that being said, my MVP is Sarah Foster. It is surprising that she's actually has not been in that much since this film. I think she was actually a, a really good actress for the role. And she does carry a lot of this film. Like she is the mastermind behind this plot. Um, she is in the majority of the film and you know, say what you will about the marketing of this film being almost seemingly centered around her in a yellow bikini, which it kind of felt like it. But there's a lot more to Nancy here, and I think that's that's a good thing 
thanks to Sarah Foster. Like, I think if this movie focused on her and it was her story or her lead, then I think the, the plot would make more sense. And then the turn at the end where Jack takes the money instead of her, then that's the twist, right? The guy that she was using ended up being the one using her all along that makes more sense to me but but i didn't write the book i'm not elmore leonard uh but who did you like in this film let us know at not that badcast carrie thank you so much for watching yet another elmore leonard movie with me uh and to you our listeners thank you for listening to talk about another elmore leonard movie now you guys know the drill if there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad that there is nothing good we can say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast or you can find us on Facebook now, facebook.com slash NotThatBadCast. Let us know what movie you want us to talk about. We will watch it. We will dissect it and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, she's Carrie. I'm Jay. You're awesome for listening. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.